is taken from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Well, if you know any high school juniors, this is the season when many of them are taking the SATs and, and getting ready for the fall, or seniors are taking AP tests while they're waiting for college acceptance letters. And, you know, the SATs have always been a kind of controversial, you know, because it's called the Scholastic Aptitude Test. And so supposedly it is not a test of measuring what you've learned, it is supposedly a test of measuring your aptitude for scholarship. You know, how well will you do in school? And there's a lot of debate over whether it actually measures that, okay? Because this is one of the things about a test. A, a test is only meaningful if it measures something meaningful. You know, does it measure something important? Does it measure something worth measuring? Does it do it in a way that's actually accurate? Sometimes in school, you'd take a test and you would sit there and so, say, I'm not sure if this ever actually measured whether I knew something about the subject. Right. And that felt like a bad test. Well, testing is the essence of our passage today. As Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, and there the devil is tempting him. So he's there for 40 days, he's fasting for 40 days, and this word tempted is one that I like. It's a very interesting word, which in the Greek is this word perasso. And this word means to endeavor to discover the nature or character of something. And what's actually interesting is that this word perasso in the Greek gets translated two different ways in the English. It sometimes gets translated as tempted, and sometimes it gets translated as tested, and the difference has to do with the attitude of the person giving the test, all right? That if you are testing someone because you actually want to discover what they can do, what they know, all right, then it is a test. Like a teacher supposedly wants the students to do well. I mean, I don't imagine a teacher going, oh, this test is going to fail them all, <laughs> you know? I mean, that would not be a very good thing for a teacher to do. On the other hand, when someone is tempting you, they are testing you, but they're kind of hoping you're going to fail. Right? So the attitude of the person determines whether this is a test or a temptation. 
So the same word gets translated differently. And here, because it is the devil doing it to Jesus, the word tempted is used because Jesus's, I mean, the devil's hope is that Jesus will fail this test. But each one of these tests has a point. There, there's a point for Jesus to learn something about himself or for us to learn something from the test having been given. All right? the, each test reveals something. It, inveal, it reveals the nature or character of something that we're dealing with in faith. The first one's pretty simple. The devil says, you know, you're hungry, you haven't eaten for 40 days, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. You can do this, it's real easy. You know, satiate your hunger. And Jesus responds with scripture. You know, one does not live by bread alone. He's responding with the understanding that we should all have that there are more important things than our primal needs. So we have primal needs, but there are things, there are principles that are more important than those things. All right. But this particular temptation is given to Jesus because he hasn't eaten in 40 days. And this is one of the things that we always remember about temptation and the role of temptation in our lives is that temptations are always aimed where we're weak. I mean, this is why, for instance, if someone applies for a security clearance with the government, they, they do things like run a credit check. And the question is, you know, well, what does your credit status have to do with your ability to keep a secret? Well, it has to do with whether you could be vulnerable to being bribed, whether you could be vulnerable to the temptation of being given money for secrets, all right? And so... Temptations are aimed at our weakest points, and so one of the things about ourselves is that if we're concerned about our ability to withstand temptation, then we have to be examining ourselves, asking ourselves, where are the weak points? All right? Where are we vulnerable? Where are the vulnerabilities that exist in our lives that would allow something negative to compromise us? Next. The devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and says, I'll give their glory. Now, one of the interesting things about this is when the devil offers Jesus the power over the kingdoms of the world, one of the things that could come to mind is, is this actually a valid offer? You know, does the devil actually have the, the control to, to, be, to be able to offer these to Jesus? And I think one of the ancient interpretations in terms of, of our core classic Christian theology is that, yes, is that in the fall, in the Garden of Eden, when we succumb to sin, all right, that gives the devil, that gives sin dominion over the world. All right. And one of the early interpretations of what it meant for Jesus to go to the cross, and there are several. So if someone says Jesus went to the cross for X, understand that throughout Christian history, there's been more than one answer to that question. All right. And if someone asks me, which one do you believe, my answer is actually all of them. I, I think that the, the meaning, the depth of meaning of Jesus going to the cross is so broad and so complex that I think all of those theories are basically true. Right? And one of the theories was that Jesus essentially ransomed the world back from the devil with his life, that he paid a ransom for the world to get the control back. And so what happens is that Jesus is going to get the control back, but he's going to do it by going to the cross. And here, the devil is saying, I'll just give it to you if you worship me. Because you know what? What's more American than loving a shortcut? 
We love shortcuts, okay? I mean, I don't want to diet and exercise. I want to take a pill, <laughs> okay? All right, you know, shortcuts. We love shortcuts. Shortcuts are so tempting. Why go through the pain? Why go through the suffering? Get to where you want to get to with a shortcut. And so I think for ourselves, one of the things we always have to ask ourselves is, am I tempted to take shortcuts to what's right? That instead of going through things the correct way, instead of going through things in the meaningful way, instead of going through things in the way that will convey the greatest long-term benefit, am I actually just preferring a shortcut? Now, the third temptation is pretty simple. The devil starts quoting scripture to Jesus. So that this is the devil saying, you know, Jesus, throw yourself off the cliff. Don't you trust the word of God? Don't you trust the Bible? The Bible says if you're the son of God, you're not going to hit bottom. Prove to me, Jesus, that you trust the word of God because I'm, I'm quoting scripture to you. And whenever this passage comes up, you know, it comes up at least once a year, I always remind folks, this is really important to remember, the devil knows who Jesus is and the devil knows Scripture. So just because somebody is out there who knows who Jesus is and knows their Bible, that doesn't mean they're good. That is not the definition of of good. Plenty of evil folks know who Jesus is, know their Bible backwards and forwards, and it's all a matter of how they choose to deploy it. And so Satan tries to use the Bible against Jesus by quoting scripture to Jesus, and then Jesus Quotes scripture right back at him. You know, all of the things Jesus says are scripture. So this is like a debate, like a bad debate on Christian radio. It's just two people yelling scripture verses at each other. Okay. Jesus answers him, but it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. That Jesus understands that he trusts God. And he's going to trust God by not having to prove that he trusts God. He's simply going to trust God. But within this, how do you tell the difference between them? Well, you tell by their heart. I, I mean, the Bible is so often misused, right? So the Bible gets misused, and bad intentions weaponize the Bible. So just as that word perasso gets translated as tested or tempted based on the attitude of the person providing the test, you have to look at the attitude and the intentions of the person quoting Scripture because what you discover in this is not the Scripture per se. What you discover is the intentions behind the person's heart. I mean, we go back and remember in the history of the church, you go back 150 years, and there's pastors all over the country who are quoting Scripture to defend slavery. And then they quote Scripture to subjugate women. And then they quote Scripture to ostracize LGBT persons, okay? You can use Scripture as a weapon if that's where your heart is. Or you can use Scripture to console, to comfort, 
to affirm, to lift up. You can use Scripture to demonstrate compassion, to help people feel that they are beloved children of God. You can use Scripture for that if that's where your heart is. In this test, you discover more about the person. That's what's being discovered here. Their knowledge of Scripture wasn't important. What's important is what was in their heart. And this is one of the things that we always have to remember about tests of any kind. What are you trying to discover? If you're going to test yourself, what will you discover about yourself in the process of the test? I mean, as we enter Lent, I hear people talk about what they're going to do for Lent. And one of my questions is, is there a point to that? Is there a positive point to it? What will you learn by doing it? What will you learn about yourself by doing it? Are you doing the same thing every year so that if you do it this year and you did it last year, what are you actually learning this year about yourself that you didn't already know? I mean, sometimes when, when I hear a person who does the exact same thing for Lent every year. I feel like it's someone at the gym. You ever see, you know, someone at the gym and they're at the machine and, you know, you see, it's all, well, I'm, when I used to hit a gym, which was a long time ago, it's always kind of embarrassing to, you know, have to move the peg back up like six plates from where it had been for the person before you, you know. But, you know, you see the person and they've got the plate at whatever, you know, 50 pounds or whatever on the thing. And, and if you said to the person, oh man, you know, how long you been there? If the person said, oh, three years, been coming to the gym three times a week, every year, 50 pounds, same weight, three years, haven't moved it. What are they learning? How are they testing themselves? How are they getting better? Right? Are you learning anything if you're subjecting yourself to a test? If not, then what's the purpose of the test? Tests in school are supposed to test what we know in order to prepare us for something else. Are you ready for the next step in life? Are you ready for the job that you're going to have? Are you ready for something that's coming up? That's the thing that the test is there for. And at the end of this passage, I always love this little thing at the end because it really doesn't get talked about very often. He, the devil finishes the test, Jesus passes the test, and then he departs from him until an opportune time. An opportune time, what's that? Well, it's a translation of a word that I'm sure you, you know, many of you will know this because if you've been around Bible studies a lot, you'll hear this talked about a fair amount. And it's this Greek that it's the idea that Greek has two words for time. So it gets talked about a lot. Okay. And these two words for time are kairos and chronos. Okay. So this, this word kairos is used there. Opportune time is just a translation of this word kairos, which is referring to an, a right time, an appropriate time, a special time. It's not what time it is. The other word chronos, we get words like chronology from or chronometer from. It's just, it's just time disconnected from meaning. Kairos is more of a, of a special thing. It's like when you have a person who's about to make the biggest presentation of their life and you say to them, this is your time, man. This is your time. This is your audition on American Idol or whatever. <laughs> you know, this, is, this, is your, this is your time. This is your moment. 
It's not about when it is, it's about that it is, the importance of it in that moment. This, it's what you've been preparing for. It's what you've been building toward. That's this kairos time. And the devil is not going to return until an opportune time. In fact, um, in the Greek, in the, I mean in the Gospel of Luke, the devil doesn't return by name. But that word about temptation, the discussion of temptation, comes up again at the end of the story when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's going to be crucified. If you're familiar with your scriptures, if you remember this and you remember the point in the story where Jesus is there, the crucifixion is coming up and he prays fervently to God, if I don't have to go through with this, please take this cup away from me. It's at that point that he talks about temptation again. As he's doing this, he says to his disciples, pray that you will not suffer temptation. Because it is at that point that it's opportune for him to fall, to succumb to temptation. I think that the, the, testing, in the, de the testing in the desert here was preparing him for that particular temptation. It was preparing him for that moment when, we, when he would have to choose, am I going to go through with this or not? Because it's at that Kairos moment in your life that the forces of darkness would want to derail you. Whatever opposing forces there may be in the universe that are operating against you, they don't care about the routine stuff. They're waiting for that critical moment in your life to derail you. That's when the forces of darkness would want you to stumble, when it's most important. So in the tests and trials that you subject yourself to, is there a situation in your future that you're being prepared to handle? Are you working toward being able to handle something that maybe you couldn't before? Are you building up your knowledge so that you'll have a knowledge base that you didn't have before? Are you building up your endurance so you'll be able to endure something you couldn't endure before? Are you building up your patience so that you'll be able to, be, to, to, to not lash out in a circumstance when you might otherwise? Are the tests and trials you're enduring preparing you for something? Because that's the point of tests. To prepare us for a situation that might happen. So when you test yourself, do it with a purpose. Do it because there's a reason for the test. No one likes taking a meaningless test. I mean, if I said, okay, you know, uh, we're going to give everyone a piece of paper and I just want you to start writing down prime numbers and we're just going to see how far you can go, how many prime numbers you can write down in two minutes. Some of you would do better than others. And all of you would be saying, why? What's the point? What does that help me know or do? If you won what would it matter? 
You would have succeeded. You would have won the test. You would have beaten the others. But to what end? So when we test ourselves, testing without self-discovery is just self-flagellation. But instead, test to make yourself more ready for something meaningful. Test to discover your strengths. Test to build up your confidence. Test so that you are ready for those Kairos moments that are going to come in your life. And you can be more prepared to handle them, to succeed at them. Because that's what tests are for. So in this season of Lent, think about what you can be doing that will make you more ready for Easter. That will make you more ready to, for the joy of the resurrection. That will make you more ready for a life of following Christ beyond the 40 days of Lent. Amen.